Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. By the way, before we even get into this show, before I even click and play the intro music, have an hour and record the whole thing using the built-in microphone of this bloody old computer. Oh, it's on its knees anyways, but it's dragging itself across the desert. And I've just realised I went and recorded the whole show using the built-in mic, not me fancy one here. So I sound like I'm at the bottom. And I can't be too much on, as I mentioned. Got someone come for dinner. You'll have to wait till the end to find out who. So there we go. Apologies for today's show being a little bit tinny and a little bit echoey. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa. Part of the District of Wonders Network. Featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm moving, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. Pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody welcome. Hello and welcome to show 557. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Yes. We have an original story again on Starship Sova. It is Choose by David Whittaker. And it's narrated by, guess this, Summer Brooks. Oh, man, that's all coming in day show. I do hope you will join me and stick around. I didn't say that right, did I not? Anyway, <laughs> just hang in there. So yes, 557, and I'm not going to mention Patreon this time because we're right smack bang when I record this of going through all the, you know, the, the payment system. But I want a big thank you, I do want a big, a big thank you though, to Gordon Glasner. Gordon's straight in there, thank you so much. Gordon, he actually mentions a little post he put on Patreon saying it's just like so much. Like back catalogue, you know what I mean? Oh yes, there's there's a lot there. There's a lot there, sir. <laughs> Hang in there. You've got a ride of your life there. In 2006, I think. So Gordon, big thank you, big thank you indeed. So like I say, we are on the main fiction, an original to Starship Sofa. Choose, like I mentioned, by David Whittaker. David Whittaker is originally from the UK, but having ambled around a bit, somehow found himself living in New Zealand. He has a degree in journalism. However, ultimately decided that he prefers making things up. It should probably be a resource rather than a profession. His fiction has appeared in Flash Fiction Online, Andromeda Space Reader's Magazine. That's still a cracking name for it. A magazine, Sci-Fi Journal, Antipode in SF, and you can find him and his other works at wordsbydavid.com. And like I mentioned, Summer Brooks is on the mic. Get this, man! Who, if you don't know who, you should hang your heads in shame if you don't know the name Summer Brooks. Summer Brooks is a story addict 
who watches way too much television and she enjoys putting her encyclopedia sci-fi geek knowledge to the test in discussions about sci-fi, horror and comics. She has been doing just that since Slice of Sci-Fi in 2005, man. She's been podcasting since 2005. I take your bow. I thought I was an old codger summer, but you've been doing it a good 12 months. And she is co-host, producer, host, and EIC. I'm not sure what that EIC means. And as the Babylon Podcast co-host from 2006 to 2012. Summer is also an avid reader and writer of sci-fi, fantasy, and thrillers with a handful of published credits to her name. Next on her agenda is the writing and urban fantasy action adventure and a monster movie extravaganza. She is also a narrator for Tales to Terrify. We've had Summer on Starship Sofa and Escape Pod, amongst others. So, the Starship Sofa is very proud to present. Choose by David Whitaker. Wake up. The words shuffled through the darkness of her mind, tugging at her. Wake up. Firm. Persistent. A trickle of light invaded her senses, growing into a blinding glare as her eyelids fluttered. Where... where am I? Myra asked groggily, her eyes scanning the dull expanse of concrete that filled her field of vision. She tried to lift her hand, shield her eyes, but her wrist barely moved a centimeter. Glancing down, she noticed the restraints pinning her in place. Loops of metal around her arms, ankles, and pelvis. Trying to lift her head, she felt another pressed across her throat. What the hell is this? she growled, making no attempt to conceal her anger, wrenching her arm and kicking out with her feet. The restraints rattled, though held fast, her efforts futile. Subject conscious, elevate and note commencement. There was a sudden jolt and Myra felt the world around her shift. Her body levered into an upright position. In front of her, a man stood waiting. His appearance was nondescript, his clothing bland and unremarkable, his face neither handsome nor hideous. His most noteworthy feature was simply how overwhelmingly plain he was. "'What is this?' she repeated with a snarl, looking past him, searching for an exit, though finding nothing but more of the same dull concrete. What have you done to me? Question one, the man announced with indifference, ignoring her queries. A trolley is running out of control down a track. In its path are five people who will not see it nor hear its approach, but will surely be killed by its impact. You are unable to notify them of the danger, though you can flip a switch and divert the trolley onto a separate track. This will, however, put a separate sixth person in the trolley's path, who will also neither see nor hear its approach, and will surely be killed. Do you flip the switch? Myra stared at him, her blood boiling. What the hell is this? she yelled. Her questioner gazed back at her. Question one. Do you require clarification? Do you flip the switch? Straining at her bonds, she tried to free herself again. 
Other than her confinement, she still felt strong and healthy. No signs of injury or violation. Her captor was odd, but he didn't seem particularly malicious. If she could free herself, she wagered she stood a fair chance of overpowering him and making her escape. Question one, the man repeated, seemingly ignoring her efforts. Gun to your head. Do you flip the switch? Screw you! Myra snarled, wrenching her arms, attempting to slip her hands through her cuffs. A cold edge of metal was pressed against her temple. Question one. Gun to your head. Do you flip the switch? Hardly daring to move, Myra slowly turned her gaze and found herself staring sidelong up the barrel of a very real, very menacing pistol. Shit, she whispered heart leaping into her throat. Shit, shit, shit. Question one, the man repeated, his finger hovering over the trigger. Do you flip the switch? Please, she cried, trying desperately to keep a lid on her terror. Just take it easy. Breathe. Everything's going to be okay. Her words weren't for him, and she barely recognized her own voice. Fear was nibbling away at her vocal cords, robbing them of her usual strength and confidence. Question one. Do you flip the switch? Her captor asked again. Despite the gun in his hand, her life at his immediate disposal, he still sounded indifferent, almost bored. Myra swallowed. Yes, all right. Yes, I flip it. Please. Are you happy? Please, let me go. The barrel of the gun lifted from her temple like a weight from her chest, and she sucked in a terrified lungful of air. Seemingly satisfied, the man turned his attention to the wall directly in front of her, the pistol dangling almost forgotten by his side. A flickering of light blossomed across the bland concrete. At first it seemed a simple projection, but then it took on depth, expanding like a particularly vivid hologram, replacing the wall entirely. Myra watched, bewildered, as the scene focused. Men labored on a desert track, sweat coating their brows, heat radiating in waves from scorching dirt and rock. Arms glistened as they wielded their tools, clothes damp and clinging. Stretching back along the track, a ripple of movement, a trolley, approaching fast and wild. Speeding down the rails, a huge, unstoppable mass. It dwarfed the men laboring before it. The trolley was almost upon them when a switch in the foreground, a detail Myra hadn't noticed with her gaze drawn to the men, flipped. The scene's viewpoint veered abruptly sideways, the new perspective revealing a secondary track, the trolley thundering down new rails, its lethal mass diverted from the initial group of men. A solitary laborer crouching on the tracks lifted his head quizzically, his attention drawn by something Myra couldn't quite pinpoint. A change in air pressure, perhaps? A vibration in the rails? She watched as he shut off his tool, silencing it, and turned his head. She saw the instant he registered the danger, the moment his eyes widened in terrified surprise, before the trolley slammed into him. Her scream was visceral, tearing its way out of her body as she watched the savagery of the scene unfold before her, the detail far too real to plausibly be fake. 
blood spitting into the air in a mixture of mist and rain, flesh and bone cartwheeling in a macabre dance across the dirt and soil, chunks of muscle, sinew, and tendon, flapping and churning their way under the grinding wheels of the trolley. Shit! she yelled, closing her eyes seconds too late, the images already burning themselves into her memory. Ah, shit, shit! She felt the bile rising in her stomach and was unable to hold it back, the taste of acid coating her tongue and teeth as it dripped down her chest and chin. Why? What the hell? Why did you do that? She coughed between wretches, choking on tears. The man said nothing, though when she finally had nothing left in her stomach, she felt the cloth dabbing at her mouth. Dragging her head, she glared at him, his hand hovering inches from her face, his stained handkerchief dangling in his fingertips. What are you doing? Don't touch me. Don't you dare touch me. Her captor studied her a second, then shrugged and withdrew, his dirtied handkerchief hanging limp beside one leg, his gun against the other. Question 1. Review. Do you regret your decision? Would you like to amend it? Myra stared at him, revulsion and incredulity fighting for dominance. What the hell is wrong with you, she spat. You think I wanted to see that? You think I wanted you to show it to me? Do you regret your decision? Would you like to retake the question and amend your answer? Would you kill five more people if I did, she yelled. The man tilted his head slightly to one side. Failing to flip the switch would result in the deaths of five men, of course, he replied, as if this was stating the obvious. This was stipulated in the question. And no, I don't regret it, and I don't want to mend my answer, you sick bastard. Her questioner nodded, apparently unconcerned with her choice. Very well. Question two, he said. A ship has sunk whilst at sea. You have gathered all thirty survivors in a lifeboat, whose recommended capacity is seventeen. If you do not act soon, the lifeboat too will sink, inevitably killing everyone on board. Do you allow this to happen, or do you throw thirteen survivors overboard so as to allow the possibility of rescue to those that remain? Myra shivered against her restraints, anger vibrating through her veins. Why? she growled. Why are you doing this? Question two. Do you require clarification? The man replied, simply gazing back at her. I don't want to play your game, Myra yelled, throwing herself forward against her restraints, bucking once more against her bonds. Her captor waited patiently, watching till she tired. Gun to your head, he said, his words slow and deliberate, a finger tapping at the pistol by his side. Do you throw thirteen survivors overboard? Screw you, Myra snapped, spitting at him, her saliva splashing across his chest. The man tilted his head and gazed at the mark of her rebellion, then merely lifted his handkerchief and dabbed it away, utterly unconcerned. No response, he murmured. Is that your answer? Bite me. That's my answer, you freak. Nodding, he turned to face the wall. Myra blinked. She had expected to feel the cold caress of the gun again, 
and when it hadn't come, it had thrown her off balance. Her disorientation grew as the forward wall writhed murky gray and black, the scene flickering to life. She stared as the boat slowly emerged within the darkness. The sea was chaos. A storm battered the waves to mist and mountains, spray exploding undistinguishable amidst the rain. In the furious grip of the water, the tiny craft was feeble and pathetic. A crowd of miserable faces huddled together, smothered in fear as they frantically bailed out water. It was soon clear their efforts wouldn't be enough. The lifeboat was coming more perilously close to submerging by the second. No, Myra whispered. No, no, no. Her captor ignored her, watching as the storm swelled, waves churning around the struggling vessel. Stop it, please, don't do this. It cannot be stopped, he said simply. What will happen will happen. The only choice to make is the one presented to you. Do you regret your decision? Would you like to amend it? <laughs> is that what you want? I didn't even answer, but you want me to change it? I want nothing. The choice is yours to make. If you are satisfied with your answer, we will merely move on and let it play out as you have decided. There is no right or wrong. And what is the point? Myra asked, watery eyes flicking back and forth between him and the turbulent scene playing out before her. The boat tipped ominously, the faces of its passengers rigid with fear and despair. Rain fell in sheets across its bow, waves crashed over the sides, and the water level rose even higher. Do it, she whispered. Do what? the man asked, his untroubled eyes remaining on the craft. Amend your answer? Yes, she moaned. Amend it. Very well. The change was immediate, the expression of the boat's passengers transforming in an instant as desperation overwhelmed fear. Hands which had been cupped, frantically throwing water overboard, curled into fists and flew free. Anarchy erupted from stem to stern, people wrestling with one another as they struggled beneath the relentless assault of the storm. It felt like minutes, but could only have been seconds before the first flailing body hit the icy water, a young boy, easily overpowered by his adult assailant, sucked away and quickly lost beneath the murky waves. A second soon followed, and then a third, the bodies tumbling over the side, crude weapons slammed into fingers that refused to let go, figures swept away into the darkness. When the thirteenth hit the waves with a feeble splash, the remaining survivors finally returned to bailing water. As the craft began to rally, the scene's perspective slipped beneath the waves, following instead the final victim. It tracked him in the churning depths, watching as he thrashed, pumping legs, searching arms, furious strokes, but an inevitable trickle of escaping bubbles, a stilling of limbs, and then a mere silhouette drifting lifeless in the murk like a broken doll, surrounded by a dozen others. As before, the details were far too convincing, much too real to conceivably be faked. Myra lowered her head, tears cascading down her cheeks. Question two, review, her captor said. 
Do you regret your decision? Would you like to amend it? No, she whispered, her heart heavy, her conscience weighing on her like a robe of chain. Why are you doing this? How? Question two. Variation, his reply came, her questioner apparently content ignoring her. A ship sinks, leaving 30 survivors. However, the lifeboat's capacity is only 13. To retain buoyancy, 17 passengers must be sacrificed. Do you throw them overboard? Myra didn't even raise her head. I do. You don't need to show me. The man nodded, though the scene updated anyway. A new ship, a new group of misfortunates struggling to survive. Glancing up, she watched just long enough to note that the people were indeed new, that she wasn't witnessing a mere reimagining of events. The players she'd watched die were truly gone. They had not somehow returned for a repeat performance upon the stage. Turning away, she closed her eyes and tried to block out the horrific imagery that filled her head. Her ears betrayed her, however, and she couldn't help but listen to the howling of the wind, the fury of the struggle, the cries of the combatants, and the splashes of those bested in the fight. The fall of her tears echoed the tumble of the bodies beneath the waves. When the scene came to an end and the terrible sounds finally died out, she simply hung there the flames of her will to fight thoroughly doused. Question three, her captor droned. Two kingdoms are poised to erupt into war, the course of which will kill many of the populations on both sides. War can be avoided through marriage of a princess from one kingdom to the prince of the other. The marriage will be loveless. Should the marriage be forced? Yes, Myra shuddered, her eyes still closed, her head bowed. She didn't see the scenario flicker into being, didn't watch the fates of the people shift and twist in front of her, but she heard the wedding bells and listened to the dry and sterile conversation of two people trapped together by circumstance. Question 3. Review. Do you regret your decision? Would you like to amend it? No. Question 3. Variance. The prince has a 50% chance of beating the princess. Should the marriage be forced? Yes, she whispered, detesting her answer, but knowing that if she responded any other way, she'd be forced to listen to the sounds of erupting battle, the clash of man against man, the screams of the fallen. Instead, she listened to a woman, her tone timid and fearful, as she discussed trivialities with a man across what sounded like a large and dreary hall. Question 3. Variance. The prince has a 100% chance of beating the princess. Should the marriage be forced? Yes, she breathed, wishing she could cover her ears as the sound of weeping staggered forth. A moment later it was interrupted by a noise vaguely similar to that of a sack of grain dropping to a floor, over and over. As time passed it twisted and morphed, till in the end it sounded more like a wet towel slapping against a rock. Throughout it all she heard the shrieks, the gasps, and the pleadings. Question 3. Variance. Her questioner stated without emotion. 
The princess is a child. Should the marriage be forced? Myra sagged in her bonds, her spirit failing her. Yes. A child's high-pitched voice crept toward her ears, the tone wavering as it tried to remain firm and hide a fear and anxiety that clearly consumed its owner. Question 8734, the man said, steady and indifferent as he'd been at the outset. A man is considering killing his wife on account of her violent behavior toward him. However, whilst the wife is aggressive to her spouse, she is the sole supporter of a younger sibling, who will likely starve without the assistance she provides. Should the crime be prevented? Yes, Myra gasped, her voice breaking. The scene rolled forth, a troubled marriage of pain and misery displayed within, interrupted from time to time by the warbling voice of a young girl. Question 8734. Review. Do you regret your decision? No. Question 8734. Variance. The man witnesses his wife accidentally consume poison. If he does nothing, she will merely die by her own misfortune, the same as would have transpired were he not there to observe the mistake. Should he provide her with the antidote? Yes. The scene unfolded, raw and aching. Question 8735. A celebrated healer, developer of a cure for an unpleasant disease, passes away. Her cure will go on to save a number of lives, and it is likely she will be an inspiration for generations to come. However, following her death, it is discovered that a great deal of her success came as a direct result of autopsies performed on carriers of the disease. Furthermore, it is determined that a number of these carriers had their lives ended prematurely and deliberately by her hand. Should this information be kept secret? Don't. Myra lifted her head, pupils dilating, eyes wide. Please, stop. The wall flickered. A scene appeared. A busy clinic, a shiny metal plaque, and a line of people called forward, one by one. Their sleeves rolled up, needles prepped and ready. Question 8735. Variants. Many of her victims were children. No more, please, she whimpered, her heart pounding, her chest rattling as she drew a ragged breath. The scene twitched. Children danced and ran and leapt and sang and lay down to a sleep from which they never stirred. Question 8735, Variants. The discovery is made 900 years after her passing. I can't, Myra shrieked the words tumbling like water from a ruptured dam. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Question 8735, Variants. Addendum. At the time of discovery, 900 years after the fact, it is impossible to carry out a physical punishment for her crimes. Her body is long decayed and can serve no sentence, can undergo no rehabilitation or correctional education. It is possible, however, through sequencing of her remains, to create a mental map and subsequently a virtual representation who can serve a sentence in her stead.
In doing so, this representation will be placed under significant mental strain, akin to torture. For the sake of her victims and the descendant kin thereof, should this sentence be carried out. Myra stared, her body trembling, her restraints twitching with her spasms. She tried to force words past her lips, but none would come. Do you require clarification? The man seemed to somehow grow and loom over her, the room diminishing as he dominated her field of view. Do you regret your decision? Invisible hands tightened around her chest and heart, rivers of ice flowing through her veins. She could feel him looking into her, prying her apart piece by piece, searching. Do you regret your decision? He repeated, his voice slamming into her as heavily as if she'd been physically struck, his eyes gazing into hers with piercing intensity. She couldn't lie to him. He saw too much. He saw through her. He saw everything. He knew. He knew. He knew. He knew. Do you regret your decision? Trapped, backed into a corner, the fabric of her mind twisted, straining against itself, searching desperately for an escape, and finally tore with a vicious snap. Her eyes rolled in her sockets, her focus erratic and lost. Laughter spilled up from her core, hysterical and wild, before morphing into an animalistic scream. It seemed to go on forever, feral and unyielding. Response unsatisfactory. Further education and assessment impossible. Subject broken, her tormentor stated, watching with clinical disinterest. Reset. Begin again. Myra drifted, her mind a fog, her consciousness lost in wandering. She felt nothing, could barely even think. Her world was a shapeless sea of gray, and she was but a helpless passenger, bobbing along in the nothingness. Wake up. The voice came to her across the gloom, tugging her toward a light. Where am I? she asked, her eyelids fluttering, a room of concrete taking shape around her. She felt the restraining bite of metal across her arms, ankles, pelvis, and throat. Subject conscious. Elevate and note commencement. All at once her world began to shift, pivoting on its axis, her body rotating, levered upright against her will. A man stood waiting for her, watching as she reoriented. His clothes were dull and unremarkable, his face plain, lacking both in character and distinction. In spite of this, something about him felt strangely familiar, and she'd wondered if they'd met somewhere before. He dipped his head to her in greeting. Question 1 And there you go! David, David, I've done this before. <laughs> wow, David, thank you so much. And Summer, those, that voice, that voice has tickled, tickled me since 2005. Oh, hang in there, lasses. We're still going strong. So a big thank you to both of you for kind of 
making this show and Jeremy and, and Gary in the, the back end of the sofa. Thank you so much. Gordon, massive thank you for being on. Do you know what I mean? Just amazing. Thank you so much indeed. That is it. I'm out of here. It is Tuesday afternoon. I've got a lot to do. The son's girlfriend's coming for tea. Oh, I'm on tea. <laughs> Friggin' hell, man. No pressure then. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me.